I mean, that's the thing that makes Darlington pretty unique. One of the things is, you know, a regulation field is obviously it's grass and it's 300 yards by 160 yards. Darlington's about 185 yards long by 75 yards. So it's a pretty compact field. It's really, it's a different game, like from a, from a game you know, flow standpoint, but you, you are kind of close to the action. It's a cool experience, but Lions Club sets up a concession stand. And, you know, again, I think that's a testament to a little bit it's in the fabric of, you know, people around here. And, and honestly, I think there's, you know, we, we've had people that over the years have played polo that are from Darrington and have no connection to the sport other than going and watching polo in Darrington. And one day they're like, I'm going to play this, you know, and, and they've went on to play, you know, a number of years in our club and that's that's pretty cool you know for me it's 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 my life it's my job it's my passion um it's my family's life but to see somebody else kind of get in and and play and enjoy it is is pretty rewarding as well you are listening to a production of the social voice podcast network again if if somebody could explain to me the difference between darrington borough and darrington township i'll gladly listen because i you look at a map and you're like oh man i'm it's pennsylvania is a interesting place. We are sitting in Greersburg Academy in Darlington, Pennsylvania, and talking with Justin Powers of Bridgewater, originally from East Palestine, right? Yep, correct. Yeah. And Justin is here to talk about the polo program here in Darlington, which a lot of people don't even know that polo <laughs> is like, you know, polo with horses, right? Not the yeah. water stuff, but with real horses. So you were involved with the program? Yeah. So I'm a third generation polo player in Darrington. My grandfather, um, who was born and raised, he graduated. He actually played football on the polo field at Darrington when Darrington High School still existed. Uh, so third generation. My dad played professionally. Uh, and then I actually, I worked for the United States Polo Association myself. So it's kind of in our blood and it's kind of amazing. I travel, I've been to about 150 polo clubs in the country and there's just about everyone knows about Darlington in some capacity. Really? Oh uh, yeah. There's, there's a few, um, urban legends out there. You know, people think that there's like chicken wire, like in the blues brothers and, you know, up around the field and they'll throw beer cans at the players of the other team. But I usually try to steer them away from those infamous rumors and whatnot so <laughs> so wait a minute so are you saying like it, uh like what we think of this you know the posh country club polo scene they think of darlington as like the podunk backwater polos <laughs> yeah it's, it's it's actually interesting the a gentleman that's president of the united states polo association came here in uh 1977 um, his name's tony coppola and every time I see him, he always asks, he's like, do they still serve fish on a dish at Harry's place? And I'm like, well, I haven't been to Harry's place in a while, but I'm assuming they still serve fish on a dish. So, um, yeah, there's there's a lot of history, obviously, with Darrington Polo. And then, you know, some I mean, honestly, some of the best players in the country have come here at some point and played over the years. And and, uh, you know, it's it's like no other polo club really in the country as far as, you know, the dirt, the lights you know, a town of, I don't even know what Darrington is, 250 people, maybe, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's it's a pretty unique polo club, and I think it's a unique thing that Darrington has as a community as well. Yeah. So let's uh, go back to the history. How it began, who were the first players, why? So the Watterson family, which would be Bob, Keith, and Wayne, three brothers, were the uh, 
um, the founding members, along with their cousin, Cliff Braden, which I'm actually looking at a uh, Braden family uh, ancestry thing right now in Gersberg Academy. So they attended a match in the 30s, late 30s at Zelianopol Polo Club, which was at the airport. And they, they got a ball and um, they took home a ball and then they decided that they were going to start playing polo. Um, they had some, you know, some workhorses for farming. I believe they were all kind of in the, you know, the coal mining, um, excavating businesses. So they started playing, whacking around, you know, this ball they found at Zelianopol. And, you know, quickly they were asked to do a, a benefit, uh, I believe at Beaver Falls High School. And... They played under the lights at the at the high school, and two things kind of spurred the discussion about the lights and the dirt field. Uh, first was they're working men, so they they didn't have a lot of time during the day to play. And the second was um, I believe the Watterson family was Reformed Presbyterians, which I know is a back then was a you know kind of a big staple in this area from a religious standpoint. So the weekends were kind of shot, you know, for playing polo. Traditionally, polos played Sunday afternoon um, all across the country. Sunday polo. To this day, there's never been a game on that field on a Sunday, which was a you know it started out kind of as a a religious thing with the founders, and we've just kind of maintained that tradition a little bit. Now we've practiced, we've had things very close to games um, on Sundays, but there's never been a game on a Sunday at Darlington Polo Field, kind of out of tradition to the to the founders. So, so that's why they decided to start playing it under the lights. Obviously, around here, nighttime, dew on the grass can't really play grass polo under the lights. So then they started doing the dirt field. And that field's the first, as far as I know, until somebody claims otherwise, it's the first lighted polo field in the world. Interesting, we've had people reach out from like Malaysia and other places that want to do lighted fields that have asked like, hey, we've found out you're the, you have a lighted polo field. And, you know, we kind of just say, hey, listen, we, we've always done it. It's kind of hard to explain how it all came about, but they always, you were really unique about, you know, like, the candle watts on the lights. And it's like, well, we just keep putting lights up and that's that. So um, the current lighting system, I believe, is the football field lights from Northwestern 40 years ago. So so what time frame are we talking about? So the first match was uh, 1937. And uh, one of the unique things about Darlington Polo, Polo in this country kind of thrived even during the, the Depression. And then World War II broke out. And that kind of was a little bit of a killer for the sport because of the human capital, you know, people leaving to go, you know, serve overseas, but also the military went from a equine powered military to General Patton in the mechanization of the army with tanks, which is actually ironic because General Patton played polo, uh, was a strong advocate of polo. And he actually kind of, you know, his tank division really kind of did away with the cavalry, which is how polo spread kind of all across the world. Quite frankly, the British, you know, the British cavalry officers took it to every you know, corner of the earth. So what's interesting about Darlington is they played continuously through the war. They're probably one of a handful of clubs that were able to do that. And what they did was because the Watterson family and, you know, guys like Cliff Braden had property and, you know, and also were pretty innovative with building and stuff like that, they uh, brought the surrounding team. So Zelenopol, Salem, Ohio, Canfield, they brought all the horses here and kept them here. And uh, then players, because of gas rationings, they only had to drive in, you know, in a car and they could play kind of at Darlington. And that is actually when... 
my grandfather got involved. Um, so Paul Powers and two of his best friends, Ronnie and Glenn Tedemanza, um, who have all three have since passed away. They were in high school. The polo club kind of hired them or gave them a job with no pay. <laughs> uh, they did internships before internships were a thing uh, to take care of the horses. So that's when they kind of got involved in polo and um, started hot walking horses and riding. And, and so that was kind of our family's um, introduction to the sport. If I could just come back a little bit to the people who started playing polo uh, in the area, Zionopol, Salem, mm-hmm. you mentioned, were these also farmers? A little bit of a mixture of both. Yeah, you had a lot of farmers that played. I mean, far, I'm using the term farmer loosely. You know, right. I, my grandfather always said he was a farmer, but, um, you know, if you asked him anything about, you know, farming, he'd kind of give you a, a runaround answer. So I would, I would kind of say gentleman farmers, you know, right. people right. that have businesses and, you know, also own land. So um, the roots here has always been a little bit of a blue collar, you know, side of the sport, which actually the sport in the United States is more blue collar than people realize it's more one and two horse owners in the country out you know living in the country that kind of play in clubs we're not completely unique in terms of that kind of mantra but it's a little bit different here in the fact that the sport survived and thrived as long as it has usually it kind of by now quite frankly in other places died out in those communities because they've been developed you know what used to be a polo field in columbus ohio is now a budweiser processing plant, you know, and so this field is pretty unique in terms of it's, it's old, you know, and it's been there and it doesn't look like it's going anywhere anytime soon. Now, the support for the polo program here, obviously from the club and the players, support from the community? Yeah, I mean, we we couldn't do Friday Night Polo without the Little Beaver Lions Club. You know, they help us with taking the gate, selling the 50-50. They set up the concession stand, which... <laughs> They, they started doing that before I was born. So it's been around for at least 35 years, but probably closer to 50 now that I think about it. Uh, but, you know, going as far as the, the police badge has a polo player in it. There's not a community in the country has a polo player on their police badge, you know. Uh, <laughs> That's right. So Darrington Polo has been featured on the Wall Street Journal front page twice. And a lot of it's kind of, you know, drummed up by blue collar, Western PA, you know, there's, there's obviously a connection between Friday night polo and Friday night football. You know, we stop Friday night polo as soon as football season starts, you know, it's hard nosed football around here and, and the polo, the style of polo we play and people that come here, come here not to drink champagne and, you know, be seen, be seen. They come here to eat fish on the dish and, you know, <laughs> yeah. have a couple, um, you know, Iron Cities or something, so. So does your season end or pause when football begins? We have a, a grass field in East Palestine, and then there's two other clubs uh, that are in the area, one in Ligonier, so Laura Valley, and then a, actually a new club in out towards Burgettstown called the Pittsburgh Polo Club. So, you know, our season won't end when football season starts. We just stop the, you know, the Friday night public matches, and then inevitably – we get a fall rain and that uh, North Fork of the Little Beaver gets closer and closer to cresting the uh, the uh, the banks and, and we kind of call it a day for the year. Oh, does it flood there? Oh, yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> it, it flooded uh, a few weeks ago pretty bad. So the field is actually at creek level to sound like a yinzer there with the creek term. So the Watterson family owns a portion of the field and then um, I believe the, again, the borough of the township owns another portion of it. And they've owned it since uh, the inception of the club. I believe 
don't quote me on this, although I'm on a podcast, so I guess I'm getting quoted. <laughs> You're on record. Yeah, I, I believe they bought it way back when as um, with plans to put in a sewer treatment facility, but that obviously the development of Darrington never really got to the point where they needed to have um, a sewer treatment facility. So yeah, actually, you know, about a third or a half of the field is actually owned by the township. So did that project, uh, potential project for the sewer, uh, did that threaten the existence of the field? I think that project was given up before the Polo Club even ever started. Let's talk a little bit about Polo itself. Mm -hmm. How was it played? So Polo, um, it's the oldest team sport in the world. There's many, many arguments about the origin. If you ask people, you know, one group of historians, they'll say it started in Persia 2,000 years ago, around the time of Christ. Um, if you ask other historians, they say, well, no, it started in Mongolia and China and 2,600 years ago, you know, Genghis Khan, quote unquote, played polo. Um, There's obviously a lot different type of sport back then. Um, but traditionally, the sport has always maintained a connection really up until World War II with the military. I mean, through its entire history, it's it's been used as a, you know, cavalry training, you know, used for keeping horses fit for battle, things like that. And that's how it spread, as I said earlier, you know, the British Empire, which is, it's a pretty interesting kind of connection. You think about like the British Empire after, you know, in the early 1900s, late 1800s, there were British soldiers in every corner of the earth. And um, they picked up the sport from, you know, Persia, India, the Ottoman Empire, took it to, you know, New Zealand, Australia, Zimbabwe, South Africa, obviously England. Um, and this sport in the United States, the introduction of the sport in the United States is also kind of disputed, I should say. The New Yorkers will say, well, we played the first polo match at Westchester Polo Club in 1876. The Texans will say, well, you guys played the first polo match, but you played polo ponies that were shipped up from Texas because we'd been playing polo in Texas for, you know, years before. But actually, Bighorn Wyoming is a club that, I, I mean, personally, if I had to put my money on a bet, uh, is where the first polo really happened. And it was because a lot of British royalty in the 1800s, you know, once you get down to the 13th cousin twice removed, you know, you kind of run out of jobs for, <laughs> you know, the vis account of, you know, Earl number five. So they would go, members of, you know, the aristocracy would go out and say, hey, we're just going to go explore. You know, we'll go to Australia, New Zealand. And there's a group of them that went to Bighorn, Wyoming in the middle of nowhere and at the time was kind of frontier land and they started playing polo. So they, I think they actually, um, 1872, I think is when they, you know, said that, Hey, they first started playing polo in Wyoming, but, um, you know, really spread all across the United States. Um, there's clubs in 40 some different States. I compare polo to, and this is what I do for a living. You know, I'm head of the polo development division of the United States Polo Association. So I kind of have a little, expert knowledge on this, but uh, I compare polo a little bit to sailing. You have the guy that has, you know, a 12, 14 foot sailboat and goes up to Erie twice a year and, you know, complains about how much he spends on his boat and doesn't use it. Then you have Ted Turner that decides to go, I'm going to go win the uh, America's Cup on American Eagle. And, you know, polo kind of has that paradigm too. You know, you have people like that play in Darlington that are school teachers and, you know, country folk. And then you have people that are billionaires. And the unique thing about the sport is those people play together because there's only, you know, there's only 4,500 people playing in the United States. So, you know, you do have like the head of Amway has 
played in Darrington, you know, um, granted he didn't, he flew into Beaver County airport and then come over on his jet, but he, you know, he played in Darrington back in the day. And so it is pretty cool. It kind of transcends, you know, socioeconomic classes. So, so you're saying that polo began here as a cultural import from the British mm-hmm. and then spread South to Texas, played in Texas and played on the East coast and eventually wound up here. Right. Is the game played the same way all over? There, I mean, there's some wrinkles in the rules, uh, I would say. Um, polo in Pakistan's a little little more crazy than uh, polo in the United States. We, being the United States Polo Association, we have a considerable more amount of resources to put towards the sport because we actually own a clothing brand, uh, U.S. Polo ASSN, which the royalties from that support clubs like Darrington and whatnot. So we've actually invested a lot more in umpires, professional umpires, um, in different parts of the of the world, um, but yeah, it's it's basically all played the same. Uh, you have to play right handed. That's another unique thing. Um, you mean with the mallet? Yeah, so I'm I'm left handed. I have to hold the mallet with my right hand, oh. um, and it's and that's you know another analogy there would be like taking a English car and putting it on a U.S. highway and trying to drive, you know, if you're going to pass someone, you'd have to change lanes to be able to see if anyone's coming at you. So um, they used to, you used to be able to play left-handed, and then they, they outlawed that in the 70s because it got, it got to be a little dangerous. And how many horses and riders on the field? Traditionally, polos, it's six chuckers or periods, and we could, we could do a whole podcast on how to spell chucker because everyone argues about that. That's traditional polo. Anymore, we're playing more and more four chucker matches, uh, and a lot depends on, you know, the, the level of play. You know, lower level, we play in Darrington here. You know, you can play a four chucker match on two horses, um, you know, or somebody has one horse can split with another person, which we do a lot of. Um, you've got a Palm Beach, which right now they're in the middle of the U.S. Open in, in Wellington, Florida. You know, they're sw- they're splitting horses in be- you know during chuckers. They're playing two horses, a chucker instead of one horse, two chuckers. So but they're also playing, you know, exponentially faster and harder than than we play here. So that sidebar to that, actually, two players playing in the U.S. Open right now in Florida have played in Darrington when they were kids. Oh, is that right? Yep, yep. Wow. And so the goal is to what? It's it's very similar to hockey or soccer, you know, except doesn't have a goalie. And, you know, you have goalposts, get the ball between the goalposts. If it goes outside the goalposts, it's a knock-in or a bring-in for the other team. The rules of polo are set up first and foremost for the safety of the horses and then second, the safety of the riders. And the rules are very complicated, <laughs> it, but to kind of simplify them, it's a lot like uh, driving, you know, driving down the road. You know, you have a line of the ball, so which is the path the ball travels. And then you have two lanes on either side of the line. And just like driving down the road, somebody can't pull out in front of you and, you know, cross in front of you at an intersection, same way as somebody can't, you know, cut across the line of the ball, which is kind of, that's a simplification of the rules drastically. But, but other than that, I mean, it's just, it's a, it's, it's still a, it's a mallet sport with a ball. You just are playing on a 1200 pound animal that has its, you know, mind of its own sometimes. So So there's an inherent danger. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, (laughs) Most people will try to shelter the danger of polo. It can be dangerous. Um, it's, I don't want to scare people away from polo, but I mean, I think it's like the 10th deadliest sport in the world okay, um, or something like that. Really? Yeah. I mean, you get, you're going 35 miles per hour on a 1200 pound horse. I yeah. mean, it's, it's definitely something that is, um, you know, can be dangerous. You know, you also see 
like if you fall off, you know, a collarbone is a common injury. Pulled groins, which is actually, you know, people call them the jockey muscle in the polar world. Um, that's a that's a common injury. But um, and, and I imagine it's quite athletic for the riders. Yeah, that it's it's funny. People that start playing, you know, they I've had people over the years. We we teach lessons at our farm in Ohio, and I've had people over the years say like, "Well, things naturally come natural to me," and I'm like, "This is going to be the hardest thing you've ever done in your entire life. You're probably going to be bad at it, you know, <laughs> like for a long time." And personally, when I instruct, I I actually prefer somebody that's never ridden a horse because people that have ridden horses have this predisposed idea of how to ride. And there's techno, it's a technical thing. Like, well, you do this, 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 and this. Riding for polo, you kind of throw all that out because, you know, if you're riding, if you're doing barrel racing or you're doing roping, roping is actually a very good kind of comparison. If you're doing barrel racing or hunter jumpers, it's all about technique and stuff. Well, we have a mount and a ball. Like it, polo is a little bit about getting it done. You know, you don't, you don't get points for looking pretty. Um, so I actually prefer to start with somebody that's never been on a horse, um, but has an athletic mind, has the hand-eye coordination. Because once you give them the mallet and the ball, the riding then becomes second nature to them. You know, they just figure out how to do it and they're, they're relaxed. They're, you know, not uptight on the horse and the horses can sense that, you know, kind of the, the sporting side of what I think all Americans have a little bit of, we want to compete, um, takes over, you know, in a lot of cases. So the polo horses, they are specially trained or experienced. Yeah. I mean, traditionally they're called ponies, polo ponies, but they're not, they're not ponies. They're mostly thoroughbreds and in our club about i'd say you know three quarters of them are off the track so they've raced that's my my dad that's what my dad did for a living for years and um, mike and andrea grubert that play in our club they're from canfield that's what you know they're school teachers but in the summertime they train horses off the track uh, or retrain them i should say and um there there's a term called and they all have nt disease they have no talent you know (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> as resources. So, um, we kind of pluck them off the track and, uh, you know, start, start them into training for polo. And then we'll do, you can kind of, if you come to a match, you'll kind of see sometimes, you know, in the middle, there'll be some like three really fast chuckers. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, this chucker is pretty slow. And if you see a horse has a mane, um, a long mane, cause we, we roach, like kind of clip the manes. Um, if you see a horse with a long mane, that's a green horse chucker. You know, we're trying to kind of get work in some young ones, get them experience and stuff. So, so what's the uh, break between um, a good polo pony and one that just doesn't have it? The, the break as in uh, this, a skill set or a yeah. internal drive. Ah, uh, Oh man, the, or it's, it's what's, like the what's quest the it factor. <laughs> so the top, top horses and like even some, you know, over the years I've gotten, had the ability cause my dad to play some horses that went on to play some good polo. They kind of know what they're doing. You don't really train them. There's a there's a gentleman from Texas, Tommy Wayman, who was one of the best American players ever. He said, you know, the great ones, you don't train them. You just don't screw them up, you know. And, um, you know, I'm thinking like at our farms, some of the top horses we've had ever, like they just knew what they were doing. And they were off the track. It wasn't like they were bred for polo. They just figured it out. I always tell people, and I, I always offend everyone else in the equestrian world with this. So if you have a question, listeners, they'll be chiming in and calling me all kinds of names. Um, polo is about the most natural thing for a horse to do in terms of an equestrian sport. Jumping is the most unnatural thing. You know, if a horse was out in the wild and there was a log or a jump, you know, some, they would run around it. They wouldn't jump it, you know, and that's, you know, like jumping or even um, roping, you know, it's usually one rider, one horse or, or two riders, two horses. 
horses are pack animal. They're herd animals, you know? So when we're out playing polo, you know, we got, everyone's like, man, there's so many horses on the field. It's like, well, if you go out West and look at wild horses, they're not all spread out. They're running together in a herd. And, um, so like the really, really good ones, they, they kind of know what they're doing. I mean, it, it's kind of hard to explain, but like they see the ball, you know, go and on a back shot, go away from them. And they're already following the ball, you know, without any cues from the rider or, the, you know, there might be some subconscious cues of the rider as in like, I see a shot going and my eyes start to, you know, follow the ball, my head, which is like 15% of my body weight or something, you know, starts to move. They feel that. And then they start moving. If you get ones like that, they're awesome. There's also a market for them, which is an unfortunate thing because you, uh, at least in the case of our family, we've always been kind of, you know, horse traders. So I've shed a lot of tears on horses leaving our farm to go play better polo. But it's, it's also cool to see, you know, when you like I've, I actually just saw a horse um, that's playing in California that we got off the track 10 years ago now, you know, um, and it's like, yeah, it's pretty cool to see. So anymore, if you watch me play, you'll be seeing me kind of like. You know, it's called grab leather, which is kind of <laughs> not manhandle the horse, but the horses I'm playing right now are not uh, thinking the game as quickly as I would like them to. So, well, let's talk a little bit about seeing you play and, and others here in Darlington. What is the season? When can people come and see a match? So, we start up on Fridays, end of May or beginning part of June. Our first Friday traditionally has always been Darlington Days, um, the Darlington Days match, which Obviously, last year was in August, but um, this year is going to be, I believe, June 3rd. So that's when we start and we go through the end of August. Um, now, we don't play every Friday night. We, we used to try to play every Friday night, but we have as many players now as we've probably had in decades. But society's changed a little bit where like 4th of July is a perfect example. We used to always play 4th of July down here. People have a lot of stuff going on in 4th of July. And it's like, so we're kind of like, uh Let's, uh, you know, like that's usually a date where like, you know what, let's, let's just pause for, you know, for polo. And, and the other thing around here is weather is that's kind of the deciding factor on how many games we matches we play in a season is if it rains or doesn't rain. Do you um, play in the rain? We try not to. If it's raining enough, you know, if it's just spitting rain, it's not lightning, we'll, you know, we'll play. But if we get kind of like the last couple of years, we've had those like Thursday night, inch and a half rains. It's kind of hard to play after that. Dangerous. Yeah, it's dangerous field gets a little bit slick. And then the other thing too is, you know, we could play on it. It'd be slow. It'd be kind of muddy. Um, we can manage kind of the risk part of it as players, but then we have to put the field back together, you know? So, so we, yeah. So, uh, beginning of June through end of August on Friday nights, we'll play some Saturday matches. You know, everything's open to the public. It's not a private club or anything. Uh, we just, the Saturday matches are pretty more casual, Sometimes we'll play them in the morning. Depends a lot if we have a team coming in. You know, we've had teams come in over the year, last few years. Um, we've had teams from North Carolina, Virginia, you know, Detroit. Um, obviously, the local teams, Pittsburgh Ligonier. You know, and then we have club polo matches. Darlington Days is a, I mean, that's our biggest match. Candidly, it's probably too many people there. But you mean spectators or yeah, players? yeah, uh, it's it's a lot of people. Um, there's we have limited parking <laughs> down at the field, but it's cool. You know, it's something I'm always impressed that the Darlington community pulls together to do things like that. And what the little beaver lions club does. I mean, there's cities, I'm can't seem to, you know, pull together a community day as, as well as this community can. So. And is there a charge? It's $5 for 16 and older kids are free. We have a website. We usually push everyone to Facebook Darlington Polo. That's where we do a lot of our 
our updates and then I kind of have my phone number as a hotline. Uh, and we have a lot of people. I mean, we, we have people come in from a lot of people from Cranberry, Pittsburgh, South Hills area. They'll come in, come to Darlington and uh, watch Polo, which is cool. I mean, it's a cool little town and there's a lot of history. I mean, I I feel bad. I This is my first time being in Greersburg Academy, but there's a lot of history in this town. And um, It's only been here, Justin, since the 1800s. Well, you know, it's not going anywhere, so I have time. To, <laughs> yeah. It'll probably be here long past my uh, existence. But, um, you know, just a kind of uh, uh, anecdotal story. My great grandmother used to run a boarding house somewhere in Darrington. And, uh, and like, that's where all the players, when they traveled you know, from other parts of the country, when they traveled in, they would stay there. And, you know, it was kind of like, you know, you get a room, you get a meal, you get like kind of old school nostalgia, I guess is one word. And, and we still try to kind of maintain that, like, you know, we'll put players up, put their horses up, you know, either locally here or in East Palestine at our farm. Well, we'll certainly put all the information we can in the show notes and uh, promote your opening match at Darlington Days this year. I will be there. I'm looking forward to it. It's been years and years and years since I've been to a match. But one of the things that I remember was the thunderous experience of those horses just rolling down that field. I mean, it was just remarkable. You are kind of close to the action. It's it's a cool experience. The Lions Club sets up a concession stand. And, you know, again, I think that's a testament to a little bit. It's in the fabric of, you know, people around here. And and honestly, I think there's, you know, we, we've had people that over the years have played polo that are from Darrington, have no connection to the sport other than going and watching polo in Darrington. And one day they're like, I'm going to play this, you know, and, and they've went on to play, you know, a number of years in our club. And that's pretty cool. You know, for me, it's, it's my life. It's my job. It's my passion. It's my family's life. But to see somebody else kind of get in and play and enjoy it is, is pretty rewarding as well. Justin Powers, thanks so much for being on the podcast and sharing some of the history and the experience of the polo game here in Little Darlington. We'll have to check that population. I think it's more than 200 people. <laughs> I think it was 250. Again, if, if somebody could explain to me the difference between Darlington Borough and Darlington Township, I'll gladly listen because I you look at a map and you're like, oh man, I'm, it's Pennsylvania's an interesting uh, municipality place. So. <laughs> well, thanks so much for being on the podcast. No problem. Appreciate it. You are listening to a production of the Social Voice Podcast Network.